What's going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Coffee and Van Chats on the Out of Collective Network. My name is John Chrome. If you haven't already, please make sure you hit that subscribe button. Leave us a review um, as we read them all. So any of the hate mail that you want to send us, just go ahead and leave a review. So like type it all out and then just hit the backspace button a lot and then give us five stars and hit enter. Uh, we'd really appreciate that. Um, but yeah, anyways, um, also we got some new merch. If you haven't seen already, we got uh, coffee mugs sitting in the store as well as some socks. And by new, I mean it's been there for a little over a year. So anyways, go check that out. Uh, buy some coffee and uh, coffee mugs and some socks so you can look cool at your next uh, family gathering as well as uh, support this podcast. Uh, just go ahead and drop us a little bit of love. You can subscribe to this podcast financially for as little as 99 cents just to show us some love and uh, help us out. And uh, all the money goes back into the podcast. Uh, we currently are a small podcast and I'm growing and I'm growing and I get cool guests like I have one this week. But uh, in that process, yeah, we, 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 need, we need the finances to keep this podcast going and keep it rolling and having fun with it but anyways enough of me trying to sell you on uh shit and trying to get you to put money out of your pocket and into this podcast but uh anyways let's go ahead and dive into this week's episode and that is with greg henderson guys greg henderson is probably one of the coolest dudes that i i actually grew up watching in cycling he was the lead-out man for Andre Greipel. He was a part of a tour-winning team with Team Sky. Now he works with Israel Startup Nation and helping their lead-out train and creating their marginal gains uh, in their lead-out train, creating one of the fastest lead-out trains that can possibly be a part of the world tour. So we sit down, we chat about his career, we chat about how he found himself working with Israel Startup Nation and a world tour team. We also chat about how he kept his career for so long. Like uh I think he retired at the age of what 40 or something like that. So it's it's pretty impressive. Um but anyways, let's uh go ahead and dive into this week's episode, but first Let's hear a quick message from the sponsors. And new podcast sponsor for this week is Sierra Nevada Brewing. Yes, you heard that right. Sierra Nevada Brewing straight out of California. Um, guys, they make some of the best beer that you can get your hands on. I'm a huge fan of the Hazy Little Thing IPA. I love hazy beers, and uh, Sierra Nevada knows how to do it right. You can go check them out in Chico, California, brewery, uh, the brewery, or Berkeley, California, Torpedo Room, or even Mills River, North Carolina. But you can also pick them up in any liquor store pretty much within the U.S. So go check them out at SierraNevada.com. That's SierraNevada.com. If you got any questions for them, be sure to check them out. Also back for another episode is Twisted Spoke Apothecary. Guys, you've heard me talk about them week after week. Uh, some of the best CBD that is on the market and a huge fan of their nighttime tincture, which has the CBN property, which helps me sleep like a baby. Um, but one thing I want to do kind of different for you this week is shoot them a message. If you have questions about CBD and with the recent doping scandals and things that have come out over the recent weeks, um, people get kind of nervous about taking CBD. So, uh, shoot them a message if you have any questions. Win and the guys and the staff over there would be more than willing to answer any questions you may have. So check them out at twistedspokeapothecary.com. That's twistedspokeapothecary.com or twistedspokecbd.com. 
And then also back for another episode is Zill Pro. Guys, Zill Pro is a bike bag cover that covers your bike while you are driving down the road with it on the rack. So check them out at zillprogear.com. That's zillprogear or zillpro.com. And uh, yeah, you don't need to show up to a race with a dirty bike anymore because of all the road grime and all the salt and sand and all that other craziness. You can just cover your bike, show up with a clean bike and get ready to race. But now that we're done with the podcast ads, we can go ahead and dive into this week's episode. What's going on guys? Welcome back to another Coffee and Van Chats podcast. My name is John Croom and I'm sitting here with Greg Hendy Henderson, man. How you doing? <laughs> Good, Mike. Hendy Henderson. Yeah, I just love the Hendy part, you know, it's you know, <laughs> Hendy coaching. But anyways, um, yeah, so Greg's got a, an extensive background all the way from, you know, being one of the best lead out men in the world to uh, now running uh, pretty much the, one of the best lead out trains that are getting started with Israel Startup Nation. So uh, let's let's chat a little bit about you. How do you find yourself into cycling? And yeah, how did how did you get here, man? Um, yeah, that's a long story, mate. I'm bloody 45 years of age now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, let's uh, dive into it, man. Yeah, yeah. So it was, um, as a kid, obviously, it was, um, we started up uh, BMX, was where I sort of, my grassroots, and uh, yeah, I loved it. You know, I really, really enjoyed the BMX. I raced that for like 11, 12 years, even went to the World Championships once when I was at eight years old or something oh, like that, shit. you know, so yeah, so that was sort of my first introduction to, to world-class. Okay, you're only eight, but still you get to see your heroes, you know, you get to see, yeah. you know, Eric Roop back in those days riding for Mongoose, you know, it was like so cool. PK Ripper, I mean, <laughs> he was he was like a legend and, and then, you know, he made those bikes. And then I remember one of the coolest things is when I first signed professional on the road for health back in the day, PK Ripper, I think it might be Perry. He came to one of our training camps because he was affiliated with Giant. And I went, you're not the PK Ripper, are you? And it was like, <laughs> this big, I was like, oh, this is so cool. You're like, with yeah. the hero of mine when I was 10. Yeah. Um, yeah, so BMX, and then that sort of transformed into um, into track cycling because track cycling, as you know, is very, very big in, or down under, basically, Australia, yeah, yeah. New Zealand. And um yeah, a long career on the track, uh, which has sort of flowed over onto the road. Uh, I did a little bit of time in America. I did four or five years in America racing pro there and got noticed because there's some races in um, back in those days when the, uh, a lot of the European pros would come over and race um, Philly Week. You know, there was these races, um, Lancaster, Reading, um, uh, what were they? What was it? And, and obviously the big Philly classic, you know, um, yeah, yeah. that the big pro teams would come over and I managed to win all those in front of these guys. So that's... Well, that used to be our nationals, right? Like, wasn't it like Philly? Like it was before my time, but like Philly, if you could have came in 12th, if you were the first to right. off the line, you were, you were a national champion. You're a class national champion. That's correct. That's, I remember that. Yep. So yeah, often the, often the foreigners would win it and then, you know, Freddie Rodriguez would be a million times national champion and he might might not have won the race, but because he was so used to racing 260Ks, you know, he, yeah, yeah. he would he would win the national title very often that way. Um, 
yeah, and then got and then got picked up by T-Mobile, who was um, just got changing hands and ownership then by uh, American Bob Stapleton. Who, who, yeah. Again, I yeah, ended yeah. up working with later on down the track. As you know, Bob Stapleton, uh, I'll end up working down the track with him uh, at USA Cycling, but that's a little ways forward. But yeah, he signed he signed me up, he's, and then um, yeah, I, I raced in Europe for the next twelve or thirteen years incorporating track and road i think i did my last olympics on the track in 2008 that was my fourth olympics on the track and then i went to one more olympics in 2012 on the road and then that was the end of my olympic career so i did five olympics um and then i retired from cycling in 20 i retired from european cycling in 2016 so i left uh i was based in girona for, for 12 years yeah uh yeah and left 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 girona and then um went to went to the us i raced there for a year just to work out my next steps and what i wanted to do and what sort of direction i wanted to go and and actually ended up re-signing with i talked about health net you know when i started my cycling career or well, that was now transformed to united healthcare yeah. So I ended up signing back with those guys, and and the same guys were running it too. It was quite yeah. funny to catch back up with them. So uh, that was pretty cool. And um and then yeah, so then I then I fully retired. I got a message from um, I was in contact, regular contact with uh, with Jim Miller, and he said, "Are you doing it? Are you seriously doing it?" Because you know, cyclists are always like, oh, "I'm retiring at the end of the year." No, well, yeah, are I you did, that's why I thought it was a funny comment. You go, "I retired from European cycling." And I was about yeah. to ask, like, what's the difference? But I can understand how there's two retirements there, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> especially for you, you know, coming from Sky Lotto. And then it's like, OK, I'm going to ride with United Healthcare. This is going to be some fun. We're going to do some crits, maybe do some road racing as well. But the crits exactly. will be fun, you know. So and it was it was a lot of fun, you know, and I and um, yeah, I, I like helping out the younger kids as well on, on the team. And it was it was just, yeah, really, a really good team. Um, but I knew I really wanted to retire at the end of the year and uh, spoke with Jim. And I suppose Jim's been through many careers. Are you really retiring? Are you really? Okay, well, I've got a job. I've got an opportunity for you, you know? And that was when there was doing those big dreams that USA Cycling had of, of sending a team's pursuit team to, to the Olympic Games. And um, yeah, we were... We were on, so I signed up. I said, absolutely, I'm keen as mustard, you know? Like, let me on. I was chomping at the bit to have a, you know, get in there and sort of get down back down in the trenches with the boys, and and really form this this team's pursuit, um, which you were part of, and uh, and you know the progression we made it was incredible. I think we started at four twenty or four eighteen, and I think yeah. I think we were on, we were on three fifty nine pace within within twelve months. You know, like the, the steps we were making. And then, uh, and then all of a sudden that just got shut down. Oh, I think they went, yeah. damn, going to all these world cups costs a lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> it's yep. like, well, we have to go because we have to qualify. We need to get points. We need to, you know, it's not like we went to two world cups and won them both. It's like, we're, yeah. we're every single race we go to, we're learning. And so, yeah. So that being said, you know, cause I've been, a, I've been a part of these, these programs at this point for a while and, and they come and go, you know, I've noticed it's like, uh, one day you're 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 the greatest thing since sliced bread, and then the next day you're nothing, and then a 
a few days later, they may want you back again. And so it's like these programs come and go and they're up and down. What's your philosophy on a team pursuit though? Like, do you think it's, I think it's consistency. Then again, I mean, coming from a guy like you, like, I mean, you know a lot more than me. You've been to five more Olympics than I've been to. Um, so, and you've experienced a little bit more life than I have. But like looking at this, it's like to ride a 349 or to ride a 342, you have to ride a 349. To ride a 349, you need to ride a 350. And I'm not saying that it has to be that kind of progression, but it's not like you're going to go from 420 to 342. Like that, that's not yeah. how that works. No, you're spot on. And, and again, you, you, if we go back to the how we would, you know, Jim and I were, were progressing you guys. It was like, first of all, we had to, to build the strength so you guys could actually move these big gears off the line because you can't ride at 65 k's an hour on, on the old gears that, that you used oh, to shit. get along. Yeah, that's when you came in. You came in when they were still testing us on 96s and you were just exactly. like, throw that stuff in the trash. <laughs> <laughs> get rid of 96. Yeah. Yeah. Minimum, minimum 106, you know? Yeah, like, yeah. And I think at the end, you know, we, we got you so strong. We're doing standing kilos. And I was just like, I think, you know, you guys are on 112, 114. Right now we have the strength to get that thing off the line. Now we're, just, now we're getting there, you know, now it's we start turning it faster, you know? And like, yeah, yeah. It was, and it was, it, it takes time. And like you said, then we rode a 406, then we rode a 402, then we rode 59. And then, you know, we were progressively working out the the nuances and the intricacies of how to go fast in the team's pursuit and 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 which rider was capable of how many laps and who was a good starter and who you know we, we had to work all that out because we had a blank canvas which is great and we had a lot of really um you know really keen and 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 um motivated kids that were wanted to wanted to have a crack at this and um yeah, it was a real shame actually because I was I was really enjoying the uh, enjoying the task, but I think there was a lot of stuff behind the scenes that I didn't know about um, yeah. with Jim and USA Cycling, you know. And so, you know, I'm sure you don't know about it either. But it's something we can't really comment on because Mate, all of a I sudden, have, I have no pay grade, and that's way above it. Like that's like yeah. that's like I <laughs> yeah. haven't even gotten the pay grade yet for it to be above said pay grade. So yeah, yeah it's it's we, not my business. We just got a message at a World Cup. It was just, and and from Jim, it was like, this is my last, this is my bell lap or something. And we we're, were just like reading this text message going, what? Yeah. So yeah, I think he was in in conflict with with how USA Cycling was being governed for, for a long time and holding it together without letting us know. Um, but yeah, I think there was, must've been something that, that broke the camel's back, you know, that one straw yeah. and then, and then I think she, the old ship was on the old on the way down from there yeah. on, and and then it sort of just dissolved, didn't it? You know, yeah, which is a shame mean, because because what what upset me the most was we were ticking all the boxes like do this time, yes, break national record, yes, qualify for the world, yes, and we were collecting points and we were we were on the target to actually compete at the Olympics, like, and no one said anything about winning. But so, and that wasn't our objective. We needed to get there, and yeah, and, and we were doing that, you know. And then, and then it got before you, and then the next Olympics, which would be in Paris, you know, in, in a couple of years, we could be riding 48s, 47s, 46s, whatever that I think you have to go faster than that now. Shit, I mean, if you, <laughs> I mean, with the way those boys were riding, and I mean, they were riding so fast that they were crashing each other. I mean, it's just like they, yeah, I think. 
I want to say almost four teams were under 44. Yeah, I, I think. think uh, yeah, yeah, I, I think, think you're right. You, to win it, you've you almost at 41. You know, I yeah, mean, exactly. I think it's 42, 40, yeah, 40, yeah. 43, 43, somewhere, somewhere around there. Yeah, but yeah, but I mean, we're just never going to know, are we? Because who knows? You know, yeah, I mean, I know Rob Stanley is is the new um, the new coach over there, and he's trying to bring it together. But I think with with the in you know mass start stuff he's trying to take a different approach i think we were very team pursuit heavy and now they're trying to go very they're flipping it so like if the they were pulling mass start from the team pursuit i think they're gonna put mass start into the team pursuit i think is kind of the philosophy or the thought process now so they want guys that can kind of do a mixture of it all but who knows i mean you know you've probably been a part of a lot of programs and so this is kind of something interesting for me you know you've probably been a lot of programs where it's like hey jump this high and then you can do x y and z but, you know, from coming from an athlete like me and maybe several athletes that listen to this podcast, you know, there, there, it always seems that there's an extra jump that you missed out on. So have you ever been a part of any like programs where it's like, Hey, you know, if you do X, then you get to do Y, but then all of a sudden Z comes into play. You get what I'm saying? So it's like, Hey, do X time you'll go. And then you do X time. And it's like, ah, oh, actually, you know what? That's not that fast. And here's why. <laughs> No, and I think I think I, I touched on this with like Adrian Hedger, you know, like yeah. But for me in my career, it was like, right, I need to go and win a couple of World Cups, and I would go and do that. I would win scratch race and a points race and a Madison, and then with our team's pursuit, would win one or two, or a podium at least, you know. And then that was done. We'd qualified, and so yeah. Worlds was then we could prepare wherever we wanted, and so because we'd done track from birth basically, you know, and yeah, it was like. And I've been world champion before. I knew that if I got myself in reasonable condition, I was going to be, you know, a force to be reckoned with at, at any World Cup. And then if you turn up to two or three of them, get some podiums or even win one, you had your points and you're at the Worlds, you know. Um, so it was never really, it, I, to be honest, like it never really entered my brain as an athlete. How do I qualify for Worlds or how do I qualify for the Olympics? It's just, I just, it was just something you just knew you were going to. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. And I guess, I, I guess the hardest part for riders coming into our teams would be to force their way on and, and become part of the team's pursuit to, to make the starting lineup, you know, and that's, you know, if you can only put four on the track at a time. Um, and now, you know, you, if you look at team's pursuits now, they actually use all five riders and it makes total sense because it's such a, such a huge muscular and physiological load on the on the body a team's pursuit if you can bring in a fresh guy who's equally as strong as as your other rider then you've got a huge advantage over other nations that can only field four riders yeah so yeah. um yeah that was that's that was probably the hardest part was with for, for riders trying to get in was like just to get and of in. course you know yeah just getting in it's like i remember i remember a comment from um mark renshaw and he said uh, it was about the Commonwealth Games, um, and uh, he said something like, uh, "Getting a medal at the Commonwealth Games isn't difficult. It's getting a start in the Australian team is is the hardest part because if you get a start, you know you're going to get a medal." Yeah, wow, yeah, and so and that kind of goes to 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 being a lead out man. Like I've always been interested in this with you, and it's like. Um, like you pride yourself on being like one of the best lead out men. And I mean, Mark Renshaw's up there too. And like, my thing is, is 
how did you you had to kill your ego at some point you know what i mean to be like hey i'm not sprinting anymore i'm gonna ride for five hours as hard as i can protect my sprinter and then i'm gonna ride the last k as hard as i can to make sure my sprinter gets across the line first and in a good position so when when did that crossover happen that it's like all right hendy's no longer i'm not i'm 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 in it from i'm in it for the boys (laughs) i'm I'm gonna take the boys across the line you know what i mean though like because Yeah, that, that, well, I can that tell crossover you exactly has what to happen. Yeah, yeah. because I'm not dumb, mate. I, I've been, uh, <laughs> there you <laughs> it's go. Like, I, I was sprinter for Sky and, you know, I'd won grand tour stages and stages of pairing knees. I mean, my first year with Sky, I won nine races, which is, you know, it's, it's a good amount of sprints to win. You know, the next year was similar. And then we went into the next season and I was thinking already, and I was getting old by 2012. I, I must have been 34. Yeah. So, and then Kittle came along and then there was already Cavendish and then there was Greipel. And I was like, right, if they, those three guys on their best days line up against me, like let's just say everything went well and everyone has a good sprint, I'm going to get fourth. Like I'm not, I don't have an ego. I'm not, they are faster than me. Yeah. And I know as a sprinter, I've been on the, in the game long enough. You don't get paid for fourth places, mate. You know, you, sprinters get paid to win. Yeah. Yeah. Even even seconds and third, no one cares. You have to win. Yeah. So I was like, you know what? And then and then I saw the way Sky was going. Obviously, also that they want to win this overall. They don't want to take a sprinter to the tour. So that's when I got up back on the old blower with Greipel, <laughs> and I said. Uh, Mate, you need some help in the finals. <laughs> I just told him. <laughs> yeah. You need some help, mate. You honestly need some help. And so then it gave me career longevity. So I did my last, I did my, I did six years there. So I did my yeah. last Tour de France at age 40 because I just knew my way through a Peloton. I could get to the front. I was still fast. And I could drop Gropel off, no problem, at the front of the Peloton with 200 meters to go. And then he didn't have to think. He trusted me 100%. And all he had to do was stand on the pedals and, and pop out 2,000 watts. And that's that's how we become so successful. It was just yeah. this team that we just organized. We organized this bleed out. It was so fast and everyone trusted each other. And, and then, yeah, I had no, I accidentally won a couple of races where Gripple lost the wheel and I took off and yeah, I won. It. And that was quite a nice feeling to, to win again. But it was yeah. like, I was never driven for my own success. It was like, when Gripe won a stage of the tour, it was just this amazing feeling, you know, like when, when he won a stage of the Giro or the Vault, it was just it's really nice. You just knew the whole team came together because, you know, it would start 5Ks out with, yeah. with a guy Lars Buck and then, you know, it would transition all the way down to, you know, the last the last K and a half with, with Marcel Seberg, who's now, <laughs> I see him on the races now, he's, he's yeah. a DS at um, DSM. And then Jürgen Roldans, you know, he's in front of me, myself, and Greipel. So you can imagine that last K and a half was probably done in a minute. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean, they still they still share that video of you. I mean, there was one where it's like you do like almost 900 watts for a minute, or it is like 900 watts for a minute. You know the video I'm talking about, right? Like the where you're leading out Greipel. Yeah, there's a video. I'll put a link down in the description below. But it's <laughs> you leading out. It's like right when they started doing the whole power number things. 
And that's, is that right? Yeah, yeah. And I'll, I'll, find it. I'll, I'll send it to you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. There's, there's like this whole thing, and they do that whole power file analysis thing. Yeah. And so it's kind of interesting. But, um, yeah. but anyway, so kind of transferring into that, and like you now, I mean, you're now with Israel Startup Nation, which it seems like they're doing amazing things over there with, you know, with the team. And I mean, they're bringing on young guys, new guys, um, as well as like, you know, all the way from Derek G to older guys like, um, Alex Dowsett. So what's it like being a part of a program like that right now? And I mean, as even as a profession. So, yeah. So then after obviously the, the collapse of the USA yeah. cycling, yeah. I, um, I thought, well, I, I, you know, I, I still love coaching. So I went back to university actually and, and um, finished off exercise physiology, phys, uh, physiology degree. So I've got a sport and exercise science degree now. So that, that was pretty cool. I mean, it was pretty intimidating, I'd say would be the word, going back to school at 40, you know, going back to university at 40 and yeah, yeah. sitting next to kids that I remember, <laughs> mate, funny story, funny story. I, I lined yeah. up turn up to my first class you know it's it's uh, advanced exercise physiology 407 and i'm like okay i'm gonna know everything that they're talking about but it's been years and you know some of the the actual scientific names for stuff it's probably going to throw me a bit you know but don't panic anyway i sit down mate and like i'm brand new at school you know and i've got yeah, my yeah. little notebook you know, but... out and i've got my four <laughs> color pen and i've got a yeah. spare pen just in case yeah yeah and i was first one there sitting there all happy and then uh of course the lecturer comes in and um starts blah blah blaring on his on his everyone whips open their their notebooks or their computers and that hey, i'm the only man sitting there with a notebook to write notes <laughs> yeah yeah and they've all they've all downloaded them with because they're all available online apparently i didn't know that either yeah. so you could already have the notes and have pre-read them if you wanted. Like, oh god, I had she's a steep learning curve, brother. Yeah, and you definitely, <laughs> you definitely went to the front of the class too, so everybody's seeing you with the notebook and then. Because so old, old, yeah, old Hendy would have sat in the back of the class, but uh, this new and improved uni Hendy is going to go to the straight to the front, and uh, I got to learn this. I got to get this down. No, I didn't. I honestly, but anyway, to be fair, I, I made really good friends with uh, the professor there, and we still in contact like really often. Um, if I come across a new article that I'm reading um, that we've been studying, or something new that we try on the team, or any anything that. I can always just run it by him and, and just get his grounded opinion, you know, and he's yeah. a brilliant guy and you know, really helped me. I remember I was about two or three months in and it was just, mate, getting back on Excel and learning Excel and how and how to do double axis graphs and how to plot this, that, and the next. I was just doing my head in and I, I just went to his office once and I said, mate, I, I don't, I'm, I, can, I cannot catch up. I can't do this. And he goes, Greg, I promise you, you are going to pass. Like the knowledge you have is incredible. And the feedback you give in the classes is incredible. Yes, you need some work with, and which I'll help you with, is like getting these things here into a scientific way here, you know, like, yeah. and it was just, just about how to present a, you know, like a, um, just, yeah, exactly how to present it correctly, basically how to write a lab report correctly because there's a structure to how to, and I've forgotten how to do that because it was 20 years ago that I was at university last. So it was just those things, you know, but then 
you know, we could talk about hydration or we could talk about humidity or, or altitude training, which, you know, I, I've done all of that my whole career. Yeah. And, and I could give feedback on, on what I found worked and then you know, what Cadell Evans was doing to win the tour because he, he would bring up often cycling's, cycling's obviously endurance cycling like Tour de France is often a sport physiologists use a lot to study because it's such a massive endurance sport. Yeah, yeah. So I had a lot of like anecdotal evidence for him. Like this is what we did in Sky or this is what I know that Cadell was doing with, um, you know, this professor and data. So it was brought a lot of different interesting side feedback for him. And then, but yeah, the thing was getting this into the, and learning the science and, the, and, and then getting it on paper and then getting it marked correctly, basically, you know? So yeah, yeah. But no, it's like everything, mate. You know what it's like. You stick to it and it, it turns up eventually. You know, it, it took a lot of work, definitely. And yeah, I nearly cracked. Like I was this close. Yeah. I don't need this. Shit. I don't need this. But <laughs> um, yeah, I'm glad I did. And um, so then to, to answer your question, so then it was like, well, it's funny with all of a sudden when you've got a, a BSc behind your name and you apply for a job, how many replies you get it's like yeah. oh now that i'm a sports scientist sports scientist like yeah. that's literally what i'm classed as it's like yeah people are interested now so then i i messaged chell kelstrom who's the um ceo of of israel and he because he was my old teammate back in 2010 uh at sky and he goes oh we are we're going world tour um, we are looking for internal coaches because once you go world tour, you want to keep track of your bike riders and you know, too much external coaching can conflict with our race program and our race dynamics and which direction we want to send the team. Whereas your internal coach might, might not have them peaking at the right time. So we're all trying to bring it as internal as possible. That's the kind of the goal that every world tour team does. Yeah. So he goes, yep, we're looking for coaches. Absolutely. Really interested. And he goes, oh, and by the way, <laughs> and I thought this was quite funny. I said, oh, yeah, what? And he goes, uh, we're really close to ch- signing uh, Greipel. Do you think you could give him a nudge? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, yeah, right. So I guess it's a two for one deal, is it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So maybe I got my contract courtesy of Greipel. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, so then. It was amazing. He ended up hooking back up with Gripen for another two years. It was fantastic. Yeah. So uh, unfortunately, we, and unfortunately, the, the train that we've got now, and you know, we, we, this season more so at the end of last season and the beginning, and then in this season, you'll see that the Israel train. When we put our full train together, it's it's one of the most dominant in the world. And now we've got a guy on the back. Um, Giacomone at Zolo, who can finish the job for the boys also. Um, so they've really put time into this lead out. And unfortunately, Gravel retired just before, like I've been working on this train and working on it and trying. And the hardest thing about uh, organizing or hardest thing about getting a sprint train together is getting a trust from, from the bosses to get these guys to ride together more often. Like I need them all together here. Oh no, he's off to do this right. He's off. Ah, okay, yeah, I understand. So then yeah. you, you go with three riders and so you don't quite have the whole lead out trains. So you can't you can't implement the whole lead out, you know, and then 
And then, oh no, he's doing, then finally you get them together and they just boss it, you know, and then, oh, we don't have someone on the back of it, you know, it's like, so um, unfortunately for Gripe, he just, he hung his boots up just a year early, you know, because now we've got this train that's dedicated, um, like yeah. guys like Alex Dowsett who've actually said, right, I'm parking the TT bike even, and and going to really concentrate on that 42nd seated power because he knows also, he, he's not done. If he wants longevity in the sport, it's not from getting top tens in the time trials. Yeah, it's from delivering a sprinter to sprint wins. Yeah, so exactly, he's thinking about the future, the family. He's like, and he's doing a great job. Don't get me wrong; he's really, really good at it. He's clever. He can, you know, always there's always so much internal conversation going on with other teams, and he can he can milk someone, you know, bring him in and get two hundred or three hundred meters out of this this really keen young French guy that you might call, yeah, go, mate, go, you know, and he'll, yeah. he'll go because he's confused and you're like, oh, brilliant, <laughs> got, got an extra 300 meters. So, yeah, yeah. but he's really, he's really good at that, you know, and you have to teach these guys because that's what, that's what I was really good at too. It was like just, just causing a bit of confusion in other teams and then getting other teams to start a little early so that, that we could benefit off them. And if you can just start teaching these guys and they do it together often enough, all of a sudden, you get up there and you, and you plan the tactic in front of the bus. You, you lay it out on a spreadsheet for them or, or a PowerPoint. They see the they see the meeting points, and then all of a sudden, you don't have to tell them, mate. You start at eight hundred and finish at five hundred. You start five hundred and all of a sudden, it becomes this net like. And on Lotto, we never even had to. It wasn't even a thing. It was just they used to wait until I said what side of the road to go because I could feel that from um being out there on the bike but now what i do is i drive in front of the race and i'll get out and test the wind so i can say guys in my opinion i think we should start the lead out on the left side of the road because the wind's coming from the right you know things like that and I, so my job essentially at races is is um sprint preparation on paper and then avant course which means i drive 20 minutes in front of the race and and relay information back to the race car about, you know, if we're coming into a tricky complex of roundabouts and through a city and then we exit the city to the left and the city's open with crosswinds, I'll let them know, guys, enter this city near the front, please, because when you exit, there's crosswinds and, you know, it could go down here, so be, be aware. So well, uh, this kind of goes back to you being in college. Like you show up in college with a notebook, everybody has a fucking MacBook Air. But like you, you were doing lead outs when it was just like, yeah, this is what we do, you know? And now it's PowerPoint. Now you're pulling out the barometers. Now you're, yeah. you know, you're licking your finger and testing the wind, man. And so how much of that was a learning curve for you coming into this? Like everything's a quote unquote, I mean, you came from sky, everything's a marginal gain now, but everybody's doing the yeah. marginal gains. Right. And yeah, so yeah. Wh how much of a change was that for you? Oh, it wasn't that. And I think the, 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 nah, I didn't find that difficult. Like, it makes sense. Like, I would have yeah. loved to have had that. Don't get me wrong. It, when I was doing it as a job racing, I would love to have had that information in my earpiece, telling me, you know, because I even tell them, you know, you know, when you see on the on the TV roundabouts and you see, yeah, yeah, oh, you can see one side shorter than the other. Like, I would love to know that information because that's what I do. I'll go in front and go, guys stay the left side of this roundabout it's about 30 meters especially in a final because you could go from 10th wheel if you go the wrong side 
you could lose 40 positions and yeah. you know how long it takes at that speed to make that 40 positions again so i mean i would love that technology and so we have this app called velo viewer and what it's basically a live app that streams the whole the whole course and i just push a button a waypoint and that and i type in what it is um roundabout must do left side exit crosswind you know and then that information goes instantly back to the car because i've got another tablet and that is reading my inputs guys in in, in 12 k's roundabout complex there's four of them take them left side because we're going to exit out of the town and we're going to have crosswinds and that boom so you're essentially exactly. you're essentially taking that old sheet of paper that you taped on your stem and now putting it in the air exactly wow yeah man that's it's crazy mate it's, it's nuts. and it's live you know what i mean like yeah. it's and i'm only tw you know because if you if you recon the course the day before or something you know the weather can change so much you, know, you, have the, you can have wind the opposite direction yeah so it's, it's important to know are we doing a headwind sprint are we doing you know all, all those things now like yeah mate bike riders are kind of easy now mate yeah well it's like and it's, it's all i have to do is pedal well, that's the thing. It's it's and that's the funny thing, right? Because it's like it's also like all you guys used to do was pedal, like in some regard, right? Like you guys just rode hard, and like you <laughs> like and you had equipment and like looking at old time trial positions in comparison to our time trial positions now. It's like looking at how difficult they made it for themselves. I mean, guys just put shoe covers on because it would cover the shoe, and they knew it was faster. They didn't really have the data, but they just knew it was faster, and so. But now we're, we're, we're throwing entire fucking lead out trains in the drop bars in, in wind tunnels, <laughs> you know, to, to, yeah. to figure out the CDA of an entire lead out train. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it's just, it's kind of wild to me now going from like thinking about you and like kind of your background and kind of where you came from, because you kind of got to experience all that. Like, right. Like obviously mm. we knew skin suits were faster. We knew those things were faster. Um, but now they're trying to figure out which fabric's faster, which base layer's faster, you know. At what speed? At what speed? Materials, yeah, yeah, different materials so, for different speeds. Yeah, and so it's it's wild to me, kind of how that's, and, th and now we have skin suits too that have uh, that are aero and and can also cool at the same time, you know, like the fabric is naturally cooling, and so I, yeah, technology is unbelievable. Yeah, exactly, and that's the thing like. Uh, we say on time trialing now, it's it's become an arms race. It's like, if you don't line up on, like everyone can do, you know, let's just say a number, everyone can do 460 watts for for 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. So if if everyone's has that ability to train to, to that level, that physiological level, how do, how do you win? Okay, yeah. if it's technical, then yeah, you might be faster on the bike through some corners, your entry and exit speed might be better. But most likely, it's going to come down to your bike, tires, skin suit. Well, I mean, and we saw the recent comments from the Filippo Ghana thing. I mean, it was all over the internet where they had seventeen bikes on the roof of a car. And it's did you like, see my did you see my comment? That's why I'm bringing it up because it was on News, <laughs> your comment because it's it's it is funny to me though. Like, not <laughs> we're not even worried about the rider anymore. We're worried about what's around the rider. And how to, yeah. you know, and so it's kind of interesting how that stuff works. Cause I'm assuming there has to be a distance of how close. And if you guys don't know what we're talking about, essentially, you know, uh, Ineos had a car behind Filippo Gano with like seven bikes on the roof, which if you have something behind you, it's kind of like riding in a pace line. You are 
naturally more arrow because it's cutting the wind a little bit better. Um, so yeah, it's it's interesting to see that now like we're even thinking about, okay, the skin suit, the base layer, the valve covers, okay, all that stuff's done. Now let's see how close we can get the car and let's see how many bikes we can get on the roof before that gets banned. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know? The, the, the rule is 12 meters, I believe, you're supposed to be behind. So what happens is, yeah, when they're going so fast now, they're doing 55K an hour. So yeah. there's a lot of wind. So then what happens is the wind comes past the rider, hits this wall, essentially is what they're trying to make, a wall behind them, which is the car with, with a roof rack full of bikes, and then that hits the wall and bounces back. So then essentially pushes. Creates a natural tailwind, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So that's why they call it 12 meters. So then, but you, I mean, you see it in the classics and you can see it in the grand tours, the motorbikes and that on the on the cameras, they can influence a race so much if they just follow a little too close. You know, like all of a sudden there's a guy riding at the front, chasing a breakaway down. And you just wonder, how does one guy do that for so long? You know, and it's like, mm -hmm. well, you're getting great footage of him. You're seeing him ride and he looks like he's doing it quite easily. So, but of course the motorbike's only five or six meters in front of him. Yeah. So he's getting a massive draft from a, from a, uh, from a motorbike. And then, you know, they're not doing it on purpose or anything like that, but they just, it's just riders know, we know how, that how much of a draft it's getting. So if it's getting close in the final, you'll often see riders in the back trying to tell the motorbike to, yeah, to yeah. give more distance because we know, well, this could be close. We could stay away here, you know, or or if it's in our benefit, we're not going to say a thing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because yeah. we'll catch him earlier and it yeah, saves yeah. our men. So yeah, my comment was then, well, okay, well, that, that's, that's ridiculous. We'll just uh, next time douse it or anyone in our team's going to do a individual time trial we're going to use the team buses to follow a car yeah <laughs> yeah no. we got a nice draft there yeah no nah, because i mean that is kind of interesting it's like man you need 17 bikes for one human um, <laughs> how many how many times do you expect to do a bike change um no it's that's interesting man that's interesting and so but anyways man, I'm not, I'm, hey, and let's be honest we're not taking anything away from ghana like he no. is a rock he's a rocket ship and here's the thing i mean yeah ghana's fast and it's like in anything that makes that guy faster is just more danger um yeah, i mean exactly. so like it's 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 interesting to me but i mean people like it's crazy to me how smart these teams are how smart you sports scientists are nowadays and like the shit you guys cook up like think about it there had to be some nerd at ineos that was like oh if we just put one more bike on the roof like what would that do and let's put two let's put three you know, and then next thing you know, you have five or six bikes on the time trial car. And then you're like looking at the UCI rules. It's like, well, how many spare bikes can we have on the roof of a follow car? And there is no, no rule. No. And, but they're, but they're, you know, and so it's like that gray area, you know? And so then that's when the UCI is like, oh, well, fuck. Well, I didn't think we would have to think about this, but that's why those guys get paid the big bucks, right? Uh, it's because well, the smart guys think about that stuff. Because <laughs> there was already that distance, you know, and, yep. and you often try and push the end up. There's 12 meters for a reason because, you know, I've seen way back in the T-Mobile days when I was riding, I saw the, the team cars and I remember turning around once. When, this is when I first learned it back in 2006. I had a team car right up my clacker. And I'm like, geez, <laughs> man, if I if I mess this up or anything, like he's gonna go straight over the top of me. I don't, I yeah, don't yeah. know. But then of course you're just in your zone going for it, you know. And he, but he'd be right at my clacker only in the headwind, and then the tailwind giving me space because you don't want to block that tailwind coming because if he's too close behind you, he'll just 
guard all the tailwind and it'll feel like you're riding in with no wind. But yeah, yeah that's when I first learned it. So that's when the rule came in. Everyone started working out, okay. So they gave 12 meter distance, the kind of the kind of the and then you can push it, you know. There's 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 not commissaires on every single corner or so I mean, of course, sometimes you close an accident, you close up, you know, because if you go through a complex of roundabouts and corners, a bike will be quicker than the than you are in a race car following. Yeah. So yeah. The, the gap will extend. So then you will accidentally come up and catch them. So you might go a little bit too close. And that's the other type of trick that you can use in a headwind is is that surging, you know, it's like, yeah, I probably, yeah. we should probably shouldn't be teaching people this. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I, I asked you at the beginning of the podcast, if there's nothing <laughs> we can talk about, you know, so uh, everybody knows it. It's out there. If they want yeah, to look yeah. and that's so in a, in a hard headwind, you, you should speed up behind the, the rider. Yeah. And then, and then back off. And so you're actually pushing, pushing a heap of wind. Yeah. At them. And yeah, it's incredible. The, the, and then there's all those graphs, you know, when you see, you know, when Boone and used to take off in Roubaix with 40 or 50 Ks to go, it's like, what? And he's riding away from Hincapi and, and Hushoff and, and, and Juan Antonio Fletcher. And like, these guys are rocket ships in their own and yeah. they're working together and Boonan's riding away solo. You start going, eh? But then yeah. of course, of course there's, there's, there's five camera bikes, there's five photographers and they're so just surrounded by like, sure. you know, he just did a, he just did a draft for the last 40 K. So that's all starting to change too, you know, now they realize how much of a benefit that is. So yeah, some things are marginal gains and some things are big, big real gains. Well, you know, I mean, you know this, I mean, even us talking on this podcast, it's like, you know how many athletes you get the message from, it's like, hey, I want to raise my threshold 100 watts. And and then you're like, well, 100 watts, that's a ton of watts, man. And then, but then you think about it and you go, you know, we're over here talking about, oh, this saves us two watts. Like if we put yeah. this, this chain wax on, this is going to give us a watt and a half. Or I mean, what Arrow Coach was selling those chain rings and their marketing ploy was at 50K an hour, I think it was, it was like uh, 0.5 watts. And then at 60K an hour, it was a one and a, one and a half watts. And that's, that's a $1,000 chain ring right there. And so it's interesting, like now listening to some of these people just like, oh yeah, I can save seven watts here, seven watts there, whatever. But anyways, uh, don't want to keep you all afternoon and all my morning, but um, one more question for you. If you could have a cup of coffee with one individual, who would that individual be dead or alive? And then how would you take your coffee and why? Um. I would like to sit down and pick the brains of like Sir Edmund Hillary. Yeah. He's the first guy to climb Everest. And I would just be really interested to know prep then, altitude, obviously, versus prep now. I think it'd be a really interesting conversation and he would be blown away also with with what's going on these days yeah yeah uh he's a fellow kiwi um and i think the way i would have my coffee mate i would just have uh a long black with a teaspoon of sugar i keep it simple there you go there you go well cool man well i appreciate it and guys if you haven't already and if you don't know who greg is man you, you gotta go check it out i mean these lead out men they stay undercover and they don't <laughs> they you, you know it's the true cycling fans that know these lead out men, the Morkoffs and the 
the Renshaws and the Hendersons. So be sure to be sure to check him out. He's also got the Zwift Power Up podcast, which if you're here from that, thanks for coming and listening. Um, but other than that, we'll see you next time, guys. Cheers. <laughs>